Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 124 of Just the Zoo of Us. On this week's episode, I got to hang out with science podcaster Ashley Hamer, who joined me to talk about the towering leaf eaters of the African savannas, northern giraffes. We are going to talk about all sorts of cool stuff like how giraffes keep their tongues from getting sunburnt, built-in compression socks, the perils of necking, and more. So get ready to love giraffes even more than you already do. Just the Zoo of Us presents Northern Giraffes with Ashley Hamer. This is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here, as usual, with Just the Zoo of Us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. And you guys are going to love this because today I have a new friend. This is Ashley Hamer. Say hello, Ashley. Hi. I'm so excited to be talking to you. We've been like Twitter buddies for a little while. Yeah, you're like one of my favorite people on Twitter, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're one of my favorite people on Twitter. So it does feel a little bit overdue (laughs) for us to actually For sure. So Ashley, today we're talking about giraffes. But before we talk about giraffes, I just want to talk about you a little bit. Can you let our friends at home know what got you into science podcasting? What got you interested in this sort of thing? Yeah, it's a weird path, actually, because I started as a music major. I'm a and I, I still play music. I'm a jazz saxophonist. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> and so when I was in school, kind of one of my side hobbies, I feel like it's kind of a mirror universe because I, I bet there are a lot of people who go to school for science and who are interested in music and, and do music on the side. And I was going to school for music and was interested in science on the side. So I would read a lot of pop science books. I listened to, you know, Radio Lab and mm-hmm. Skeptics Guide to the Universe and, and all these things about science. And I was just totally loved it. So then when I got out of school, you know, music doesn't pay all of the bills. So I was looking for <laughs> side jobs and I started, well, on the side, I started writing for a blog that talked about the intersections of art and science. So I talked about music and science. And then also I got a real writing job. That writing job led to a science writing job. And that science writing job led to a podcast. So that is how, you know, I started at curiosity.com as a writer and we started a podcast and the rest is history. That's so cool and such a perfect little intersection between the passion for art and the passion for science. Because both of those are such passion-driven things, you know, you really have to be into it. It's not the sort of thing you just stumble into. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, what's funny is you said that you felt like a lot of people are like in STEM, but like have a side passion for music. My husband, he works in IT security. And he said it's very common for people that work with computers to also be musicians. He works with a lot of musicians. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I've definitely had that experience, too. I know I know a few computer people that do music. Right. Yeah. So it's like it's not as uncommon as you might think, right? The lines are a little more blurred than people, I think, like to think between art and science. Yeah. I think one of my favorite examples is I was in a funk band for like seven years in Chicago with two neuroscience professors at the University of Chicago. So wow. they, they, yeah, they were great <laughs> great musicians and uh, we would play all the, you know, recruitment events and things like that. So, yeah. Oh, that's so neat. Let me ask before we get into giraffes, do you have a sort of like origin story of getting interested in giraffes? Do you have any sort of like experience with giraffes that sparked a passion for you? Yeah, they just keep coming back. Like they won't let you go (laughs) yeah the first thing that got me interested in them was actually when i was learning about evolution and there's this youtube video of richard dawkins dissecting a giraffe neck oh gross (laughs) yeah it's gross (laughs) but basically he's trying to explain the recurrent laryngeal nerve which is this nerve that pretty much all animals have. It goes from the brain to the larynx or whatever version of the larynx the animal has. And, you know, when we were just basic fish, it was a really short path. But then as we've gotten long necks and more complex, it turned out that that path went around some of the vessels of the heart. And so it is actually, as it's gotten longer, it's had to loop around the heart to the point that in this giraffe he was dissecting, you know, a giraffe has like Uh, an eight foot long neck, say, 
So the nerve is 16 feet long. It goes from the brain all the way around the heart and then back up to the larynx. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like this great demonstration of how we're just janky. Like we're not... We are not designed from scratch. We we are just working with the parts that we have and everything's kind of, you know, we're, we're just reworking our original ingredients. Yeah. Evolution is just kind of like a continual like improv. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, no, they're throwing something new at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like my Animal Crossing island that I clearly did not plan out and was just throwing things at as I got them. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had, like, an encounter with a giraffe in person? Only when I was really little. It hasn't sure. been, you know, I've seen them at the zoo since, but I, when I was really little, I lived in Southern California, and we would go to the San Diego Zoo all the time, and they let little kids feed the giraffes there. Oh, and yeah. So, they do giraffe feedings at our zoo, too, here in awesome. Jacksonville. Actually, we were just there a week ago, and oh, nice. my seven-year-old got to feed the giraffes. That was a delightful experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so great. It's great seeing kids do that. They're just, you know, this big black tongue comes out, and it's you would think it would be freaky, but it seems pretty delightful. Oh, kids love it. Kids go nuts for it, because it's, like, got a little bit of that icky factor. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> it looks a little bit vaguely alien, and it's like, ugh, gross. Yeah. Giraffe slobber. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The only, like, up-close giraffe experience I have is when I was a kid, I was at the summer camp in Bush Gardens. Have you ever heard of Bush Gardens? I've heard of it. Never okay. never experienced it. But it's like, a, is it like a water park kind of thing? You know, it's like, it's kind of like half theme park and half zoo. Okay. Um, so it has, like, roller coasters and stuff, but it's also... A zoo. They have like tigers and cheetahs and stuff. And in the middle is like big, this big wide open area where they've got like giraffes and zebras and antelopes and all sorts of stuff like that. And I was at the summer camp where they took us like on a jeep, like into the that big middle part where they had all the big cool like ungulates out in the in the plains. And this giraffe came right up to our jeep and was just kind of like checking us out. And I remember the counselor having to tell us like, if this giraffe swings its head close to the jeep, you got to duck because if that head hits you, you're gonna fly. Like, oh man, so their head is like 200 pounds, man. This is like a wrecking ball. Yeah. And they use it as one too. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah I know. I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you should not have kids out here. <laughs> right. That's just my little giraffe uh, background story, just to set awesome. the scene of my relationship with giraffes. <laughs> it was a positive experience. So we're talking giraffes. Specifically, you said we're talking northern giraffes. So Way back when we did an episode where we talked about Rothschild's giraffe with our friend Katie Stoneman, who is a zookeeper who got to work with them. So this is a northern giraffe. For people who are listening who might not be super familiar with giraffes, you probably are aware that they are tall and have long necks. But beyond that, Ashley, what's a giraffe? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's a ruminant, which was surprising to me. It's like a cow. They live in Africa. Um, They're native to Africa. They're mainly found south of the Sahara. You know, they they love dry land. They love any areas that have acacia, which is that those big umbrella trees that you've probably seen in The Lion King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or in Minecraft. If you've ever played Minecraft, they got acacia trees there, too. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've never had the pleasure, but I believe you. Uh, And they are the world's tallest mammal. Males can get up to basically 19 feet or almost six meters from the ground to their horns, which I forgot they had horns. We could talk about that later. Yeah, for sure. Um, And they weigh up to nearly 2,000 kilograms or 4,200 pounds. And then the females are a little bit smaller, but yeah, really tall. It's interesting to me that they're like the tallest animal, but not necessarily, not the tallest animal, I guess. guess. Well, tallest mammal, yeah. And now I'm trying to think of... I can't think of anything that would be taller unless you count a blue whale. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But then it's not really standing. So then is it a t- is that a height thing? You know, I don't I yeah. don't know. But the tallest animal, I guess it lives on the land, but that they're so like thin, I guess they're so like vertically compressed. <laughs> it's right. Like, it's like you took them with a Photoshop stretch tool and stretched them upwards. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Yeah. We have talked about some other really interesting animals on this podcast that are related to giraffes that may be a little unexpected if you don't already know that they're related to giraffes. I'm ready because I don't know these things. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So first is the pronghorn. Okay. Have you seen pronghorns before? 
They kind of look like antelope, right? Yeah, they do. Um, I think people call them like the American antelope or something. We talked about them a while back with a spectacular comedian, Vinnie Thomas. And they're delightful because they are the fastest animal in North America because they evolved alongside North American cheetahs. Wow. That have since gone extinct. But the pronghorn stayed fast. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> it's so funny. So they're like, they're a short, fast giraffe, basically. I now remember these because I last summer I went to Yellowstone and driving back, I was like, they're antelope. What are these? Yeah. And I had to like look them up. <laughs> it's cool, right? It's so cool. Yeah, little pronghorns, but they're part of the giraffe family. Amazing. But even more closely related to like the big tall boys is the okapi. Have you seen okapis? Are they the ones with the stripy butts? Yes. Yes. So you see them and you think this must be a zebra relative, right? Because right. they got the stripes on the butt, but not so. They're, they're little giraffe cousins. Amazing. I know. So I think that the giraffe family is kind of like batting a thousand. Like the giraffe family is just like nailing it consistently. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> They're good at what they do, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we have a little bit of a primer on what a giraffe is. And it's interesting that like all these little giraffe cousins are kind of like, they take a body plan and just really like lean into some element of their environment. Um, so for the giraffe, they have extremely exaggerated this like emphasis on height. So let's talk about that a little bit by getting into our ratings for the giraffe. Okay. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, our whole thing, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10. The first category we rate animals on is effectiveness, which for us is physical adaptations, things built into an animal's body that let it do like a really good job of the things it's trying to do. So accessing food, not getting eaten, stuff like that. What would you give the northern giraffe out of 10 for effectiveness? Well, so it's its whole deal, its whole brand is being tall. And I guess getting the, the leaves on the very tallest trees. And also the tallness helps with looking for predators. Doesn't help with protecting from predators. Once those predators are there, it's pretty hard. <laughs> so I would give it, because there's so much a liability, because they're so tall, I'm going to take some points off, maybe an mm. eight. I think they're very good at being tall. I see what you mean. But being tall can be a liability. Right, sure, because if you're very, very tall, then your head's going to be poking out. <laughs> right, yeah, you can't really <laughs> can hide. <laughs> Did you come across anything about, like, how it was they got to be so tall? Like, what that is helping them with? I mean, they're, like, sort of the example of evolution that everybody uses, right? I mean, even, like, Lamarck, that, that's the classic, like, oh, Lamarck was wrong about giraffes because mm -hmm. Jean-Baptiste Lamarck was a contemporary of Darwin's who also believed that life changed over time, but he believed that it was basically based on behavior, like, if a giraffe reaches for taller leaves, it'll stretch its neck and give birth to young with longer necks, and it'll keep going that way. By sheer force of will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's not the way it works. But the way it does work is a little similar. It's basically giraffes are all born with, you know, some variation. Some are taller than others. And over many, 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 many generations, the ones that could reach the tallest leaves were most likely to get food, most likely to have babies, and they were able to survive into the future generations. So they all got taller. There you go. Nailing yeah. it. And and you were mentioning that, like, the trees that they're trying to get leaves from are incredibly tall, right? So right, yes. there's some selective pressure happening there. <laughs> yeah. But when you can get those leaves that nobody else can, you got an advantage. And something else that I always find really charming that helps them get the food that they're trying to reach so high up for is their tongue. Yes, their tongues are so weird. They are up to 1.8 feet long or 55 centimeters. It's That's so long. It's like my whole arm. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also this detail that they are prehensile, which first sounds really amazing. Like they have prehensile tongues. I mean, we have prehensile tongues too. They're just mm -hmm. much shorter and they can't do as much. Yeah. And they're black. Their tongues are black, but only the part that sticks out the most, like basically the, the front half. And the idea for that is, you know, it's it's more melanin and it's UV protection is what we think. Because mm. their tongues are are outstretched so much. They don't want to get them sunburned. I for sure wouldn't want to get a sunburn on my tongue. <laughs> I know. But can you imagine a life where your tongue is out so much that that is actually a risk that you have? Uh. 
the bliss that they must experience from a life where you were eating so frequently. Like, <laughs> right. just, I mean, that makes sense, considering that they are such a massive animal living off of leaves, right? Like, not a very nutritionally dense food. That would be like if you were trying to fuel, like, a Hummer on, like, a gallon of gasoline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're just, they eat most of the time. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier that they're a ruminant. That, this has to do with their stomach, right? Yeah, they have four stomach chambers, kind of like a cow. I don't remember how many chambers a cow has, but... A bunch of them. Multiple. It's interesting because it kind of like, doesn't it do like a fermentation sort of process? Right. This is, so this is something that I'm not, I'm not totally sure on, but I believe that, yeah, there's, you know, one of them's doing some fermenting while the other one's taking in more food and they all kind of take turns. Multitasking. Yeah. <laughs> Just completely like leaned into intaking as much food as possible. Yeah. Can't be bothered to do anything else. <laughs> the logic seems suspect. Like, wh <laughs> why would you be so big and eat such... You know, why would you eat salad all the time? Like, it just seems weird. But. <laughs> but you see that a lot like with, with, like, these herbivores that get to just, like, massive sizes, right? Like elephants and rhinos and, and whales. I mean, well, whales are a great example. Like, yeah. eating tiny, tiny, tiny little things, but getting to be such massive sizes. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Hi there, it's me, Ellen, after we recorded this. I got curious about why it is that herbivores reach such large sizes. So this has a lot to do with something called trophic levels. An animal's trophic level basically means its rank on the food chain. So the first trophic level is plants, which don't eat anybody. They just photosynthesize and chill. The second trophic level is herbivores, and at the third and higher levels are carnivores. Now there's this concept that on average, each trophic level consumes only about 10% of the energy from the level below it, forming an energy pyramid with plants at the base. So keep in mind that energy is what fuels biomass. So more energy means more biomass. This basically means that at the base of the pyramid, where the plants are, there's lots of plants, which means lots of food that herbivores can eat and power their massive bodies. But there's not as many herbivores around as there are plants, so the carnivores don't have as much food available to them as the herbivores do. So they have to either be quite a bit smaller or there just can't be very many of them around or else they'll run out of food. So the higher the trophic level, the less energy available and the more limited your biomass is. That's why herbivores being at the lowest trophic level an animal can get can be so much bigger than the other animals. The more you know. All right, back to giraffes. You did also briefly mention, and I would love to dive a little bit more into their horns. Yes. The situation atop the head of the giraffe. It was funny because I was reading and I was like trying to remember what a giraffe head looks like. I was like, do they have like little cow horns? <laughs> and then I remembered, no, they have a giraffe's horns are specifically called ossicones. That's a great word. Yeah. <laughs> they start out when they're born. They're just these small bony cores that are surrounded by cartilage and they're sort of flat and they're not even attached to the skull. But then as they get older, they begin to grow, they begin to turn into bone. And then by the time they reach sexual maturity, around three to five years old, they're composed only of bone and fully attached to the skull. So horns, they, they are horns. But the thing is that they are covered in fur. So, which is not something you see a lot. I guess maybe like elk, you know, they'll have the fuzz, but... Oh, yeah, the little yeah. velvet that grows over their antlers. Yeah, so they, they're covered in hair in the same way. The females have a lot more hair on their horns because they don't use them as much. Mm, that makes sense. Uh, the males end up getting pretty bald horns because they're hitting each other all the time. <laughs> uh, and the more they fight, the harder their horns get. So they, they kind of get better at fighting the more they beat them up. Battle-worn <laughs> yes. And then this, I didn't know, some giraffes have more than two. What? So some giraffes have an extra pair behind the main ones. Northern giraffes, the males have just a third one on their forehead, kind of like a unicorn. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. I had, I had no idea, but I think it's great. That's really neat. Did you see anything about why they have such a third horn? I didn't. I don't know why, but I'm sure it has to do with fighting. Probably it. <laughs> it always does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that unicorn mythology should encompass more ungulates. Like, I feel like not just horses should be included in unicorn lore. Yeah, we we need some some chonky chonky unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> there should be, I'm thinking of like other ungulates that don't already have horns, right? Because you wouldn't want to say like, okay, you know, a rhino unicorn because that would be redundant. Right. But maybe like, um, oh, deer already have, I guess they've already got horns, don't they? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess most of them do. Maybe that's why they chose the, the horse. The horse is the one that does The it. horse was the one that didn't already have a horn and they were like, well, that doesn't add up at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> if it's got hooves, it's got to have a horn. Slap a horn on that. <laughs> Man, that makes so much sense all of a sudden. Wow. <laughs> so I actually want to talk about, because you asked me like what made me interested in giraffes, and I sort of said they, they keep showing up in things. So the thing that most recently showed up for me that just made me it made brain fall out of my ears, <laughs> is about their circulatory system, oh. which doesn't sound like it would be that interesting. But when you think about how far blood has to travel to go from their heart to their brain, there has to be some really advanced stuff going on. That's true. To make that happen. So I learned all of this from the author and zoologist Bill Shutt, who we had on Curiosity Daily. He's the author of Pump, A Natural History of the Heart. Very good book. He told me um, apparently their hearts can be two feet long and 25 pounds. For reference, that's about the size and weight of a dachshund, <laughs> which is just incredible. And they have the highest blood pressure seen in any mammal. Mm. I do not understand blood pressure numbers, but <laughs> their blood pressure gets up to 280 over 180. Oh, those are big numbers. Yeah. I mean, humans are apparently usually 110 over 80. So I, I did look this up. The top number is the systolic blood pressure, which is the pressure when the heart beats. The bottom number is the diastolic, which is the pressure at rest in the arteries when the heart isn't beating. One time I asked a nurse and I was like, what do those numbers mean? She's like, oh, that's the systolic and that's the diastolic. I'm like, that this means nothing to me. me <laughs> yeah. So that's what that means. I appreciate that. Thank you. I never knew that. Yeah. So you think about high blood pressure, right? When humans have high blood pressure, there's a lot of problems. And one of those problems is that they get edema in their legs. I never knew why. And the reason is that the pressure in their arteries and their legs and their vessels is so high that it actually pushes fluid out of the blood vessels and into the surrounding tissue. And that is why you get this fluid buildup. And so what do we do to stop that from happening? We wear compression socks. So here's the thing that blew my mind. Giraffes have really tight skin on their legs. Okay. They're wearing natural compression socks. Built-in compression socks. Yes. They already solved the problem before we thought of it. <laughs> yes. It's, just, it's incredible that they have the same solution that we do. It's just built into their bodies. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love That's that. That's so neat. Because yeah. you don't think about like when an animal has like a very extreme adaptation, right? Like a very, very long neck. You don't think about what sort of things have to change inside the body to support big changes like that. You know, like, how are you going to get the blood that far up? <laughs> how are right? you going to get oxygen up there? You know, like there's a lot of things going on under the hood that need to be just as wonky to support a weird looking body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually, it turns out that the same adaptation is going on in other tall animals like ostriches have mm. that going on. And there was I found a paper where they were like, we think sauropods probably did too because they have such long necks. Yeah. I I know in my brain that giraffes don't have anything to do with dinosaurs. But it still gives you that feeling, right? It gives it you that feeling where in your head you're hearing the Jurassic Park music. And you're <laughs> yes. like, this had to have been like a similar vibe. <laughs> right. Because you see so many dinosaurs that have these long necks and they're super tall. And this is kind of our only example. Right. Yeah. It does give you that feeling of like, awe. that's like, oh, yeah. that must be what, what it would have felt like to witness dinosaurs. Yes. Just as like a really quick note, when we were talking about how like weird stuff has to go on inside the body to support strange adaptations. There is an anime that so perfectly illustrates this. It's called Heaven's Design Team. Have you ever heard of it? Ooh, no. It is this anime. I, this is probably the fourth time I've talked about it on this podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds very evolutiony. Yes, but it's been a while. So, you know, anybody who's new probably hasn't heard me mention it before. It's a whole anime about this team of designers that are like in heaven designing animals. Oh my gosh. Like drafting up animals like to meet certain specifications. Um, and I'm thinking about it, I'm pretty sure in one of the first few episodes they did the giraffe. And I remember them like taking like they were like okay take a horse and then um we're gonna make its legs really long and then they're like okay now test that one and it just like fell over (laughs) (laughs) they're like okay and then they like changed little things about the body but they explain you know like okay well that's not gonna work because it can't circulate its blood okay so here's what we need to change about it so that it can like meet these demands um that's so cool it's really it's a cute little show and it's wholesome but i was just thinking about that as you were talking about how they have compression socks built in seems like something they would have uh, made a little yeah. clip about on there. <laughs> <laughs> After many iterations, they're like, mm, we got to fix this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I'm glad you told me about that. That's so interesting. Yeah. So the thing is that so many of their adaptations are just adaptations to make it so they can be tall. Mm-hmm. One thing is that that like drinking water is really tough for them. Oh, for sure. Because they have to. If you've ever seen a picture of a giraffe drinking, it's the weirdest thing. They're it's so silly. Their front <laughs> legs are all splayed and their heads down, and it's just looks very dangerous. They have to turn themselves into like a triangle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as a result, they can gulp up to ten gallons in just a few minutes. They're just really good at drinking a ton of water really quickly so they don't have to stay there very long. And then in general, they just go a really long time without water because it's so dangerous. So they can actually survive off of like the dew on plant leaves and stuff. And okay, so one more thing in their adaptations is that, you know, we talked so much about how they can reach tall leaves. But another thing that's really good about being tall is that you can see really far. And so to go with their tallness. They also have really huge eyes. They have a larger retinal surface and longer focal length than all land mammals, including elephants. And their eye mass is large compared to their body mass. So they just have like, they can see really far. Mm. They can see in really high resolution. And as a result, they're generally like the warning bells for all the other animals around them. If they see somebody coming, like they'll let everybody know, we'll scatter. Oh, sure. They're like the lookout. Yeah, exactly. They're the lookout. I will say, if you're that tall, you have to see really far because the ground is really far away. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Yeah. You have to at least see as tall as you are that distance. Yeah. Because otherwise you're going to look down at your feet. You're not going to know what's down there. Yeah. (laughs) But I have seen, I feel like I see on nature documentaries a lot of times, giraffes kind of being a little bit like untouchable, you know, like they're not super worried about much else because they're so tall that like lions don't bother, right? They're like, no, there's no way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. They're just, I mean, they're so huge. So it's like the height is kind of serving a double purpose there where like it's helping them get to the leaves and the trees and it also makes them very big and scary. Yes, until they're on the ground or drinking and then suddenly it's like, oh, it's all right there. I can just grab it. (laughs) (laughs) They're kind of like... um. Oh, this is going to be a really niche reference. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's a video game called Horizon Zero Dawn. So the whole like world in this game is populated by these like robot animals. And the tall necks are the things that you climb to the top of. And then this is how you unlock parts of the map is because you climb to the top of them and they give you like a vantage point. I dropped it in the chat so you can see a tall neck. Whoa. Yeah, they they look like giraffes with spaceships for heads right it's like a star trek (laughs) it's like a star trek giraffe (laughs) yeah so that's that's cool that's kind of like uh they're the tall necks of the savannah do you know if like other animals will use that to their advantage if they'll kind of like have a little posse running around of like other critters that are like using their height to protect them yes so there are a lot of birds that will hang out with them they're birds that will eat parasites off of them and stuff like that that'll just kind of hang out. Love that. They're also seen foraging with zebras, antelopes, and ostriches. And they, yeah, they just hang out. Like all these other people are like, that guy knows what's up. I'm going (laughs) to hang out with him. And if he gets scared, then I know something's happening. So they're, they're friendly. They're, they're, they're helping out their, their buddies. I got to say squad goals. Yeah. Squad goals. Exactly. Everybody (laughs) needs a tall friend. Yes. (laughs) You need to get those shelves, you know. You need that one tall friend to stick around to alert you to faraway danger. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to talk ingenuity and aesthetics for these giraffes, so stay tuned. This week on Tights and Fights, Austin Creed, better known as WWE superstar Xavier Woods, unbalancing his many passions. This dude actually wants these ridiculous things. He wants to wear a crown. He wants to be a G4. He wants to have a Yacht Rock band. Like, he wants to DJ at a, at a festival one day. WWE and G4's Austin Creed on Tights and Bites. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Our next category that we rate animals on is ingenuity. So this is behavioral adaptations. This is things the animal is actually doing with their body to maybe like solve problems they face on a daily basis or give them an edge, something that they're actually like doing. What do you give the northern giraffe for ingenuity? So again, it seems like everything they do is in service of their tallness, Mm -hmm. like the way they sleep, the way they fight. But it's like also they can't help it. Right. That's how that's how they are. So I don't know. Mm. I feel like they they are so hamstrung by how tall they are that their ingenuity kind of is lacking. And Mm. I'm going to give them a five. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I was listening to something recently. I'm trying to remember. I think it was the Creature Feature podcast. And they were talking not too long ago about social behaviors among giraffes because they're they're herding animals like other ungulates. It's not like uncommon for ungulates. Ungulates like to stick together. Yeah. But they were talking about this very, very complex social behavior among giraffes where they'll like have certain other giraffes that they like. Hello, it's me again. The episode I was referring to was an episode of the podcast Creature Feature. The title of the episode is Secret Animal Societies, and this episode includes guest science writer Kara Giaimo, who just this year wrote an article for the New York Times titled Giraffes May Be As Socially Complex as Chimps and Elephants. This article was about research done by Dr. Zoe Muller and Stephen Harris at the University of Bristol, who reviewed footage of wild giraffes to get a closer look at their social behaviors than what had been previously assumed. So Kara writes in her article, and this is a quote, as experts have paid closer attention to these lanky icons, a different social picture has begun to emerge. Female giraffes are now known to enjoy years-long bonds. They have lunch buddies, stand guard over dead calves, and stay close with their mothers and grandmothers. Females even form shared daycare like arrangements called creches in which they take turns babysitting and feeding each other's young. It's a really beautiful article with some fascinating information on giraffe social dynamics like their multi-generational families, so I highly recommend checking it out. Anyway, let's get back to it. So it's similar to what you see in actually cows and that cows will form like relationships that are specific to another individual. A giraffe will have like another giraffe that's like, I like that giraffe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I did see that. And it's mostly the females. Like the males aren't too friendly with each other. Sure. But the females, they say that it's it's especially related females. So a mother and an adult daughter or two sisters. Mm -hmm. But they say that uh, mothers have been seen with adult offspring up to 10 years old and other kin up to three generations. So you could have daughter, mother, grandmother all together. Yeah, that seems like the females are are really they they're tight. Yeah, and like in a surprisingly intricate way. You know, it's not like you could just like throw them in with any other giraffe and they'll be like, "Oh, this is fine." It's like they yeah. have their it's just like people are, you know? Like you might vibe with somebody and you might not vibe with somebody else. Like giraffes might be the exact same way. 
Yeah. And actually, they do remind me of people a lot with their social lives because they seem to, I feel like a lot of animals, they'll either section off by gender or by age. And giraffes are sort of, their herds are all different sizes. They can be as big as 100 and as small as three. They can be mostly females, mostly males, kind of a mix. Could be females with young calves. It just anything goes. <laughs> and that, that reminds me of humans, right? Like we we hang out with all sorts of people. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes <laughs> in, in high school, I had a lot of guy friends. In college, I had a lot of lady friends. It's just kind of, you know, whoever you like. Yeah. You find your folks. Yeah. Maybe they've got the theater kids. Exactly. And then you want to run with the math kids. And <laughs> <laughs> totally. But then you get to the male giraffes. It's a different vibe. <laughs> it is. Yeah, they don't like each other very much, it seems like, probably because of all the fighting, and they're they're more likely to be out there on their own. So you will see giraffes just, like, not with a herd at all. It's just a lone bachelor doing his own thing. Exactly. Riding his motorcycle off into the sunset with his leather jacket. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> so we briefly mentioned earlier the fighting Yes. Fighting between giraffes. And I would love to talk about it a little bit because I've seen videos of it. I haven't seen it happen in person, but I've seen videos of wild giraffes fighting. And it is absurd. It's so <laughs> absurd. And they're so, like, very serious about it. But mm -hmm. it is the silliest looking thing in the world. So they do this to establish dominance. They, we, they call it sparring. So, you know, I, I guess that means that they're not really trying to fight to the death. But... They start standing parallel to each other, and then they march in step with each other with their necks horizontal and looking forward. And then they start to rub their necks together and kind of intertwine them and lean against each other to kind of figure out who's stronger. It starts off looking very romantic. Yes, it really does. <laughs> like, oh, they're, <laughs> I should, I should uh, give them some privacy. It looks like they're embracing lovingly. <laughs> yes. But then once they've kind of felt each other out, they start, they, they call it necking, which again, don't call very it that. Romantic. <laughs> Different thing. <laughs> but they, they swing their heads at each other. So like, like what you were saying, it's like a cannonball on, on a neck. Like it's just, they use their heads as weapons and they try to hit each other. They aim their horns at each other and, you know, a hard enough blow, you could knock each other over, or injure each other. And then, you know, whoever wins is is the dominant male. Is the top giraffe. Yeah, it's just throwing your head at each other. I, I guess, okay, I'm, I'm saying this and immediately realizing that tons of animals with antlers do this too. Mm -hmm. They smash heads against each other. It still seems weird to me. Seems like a lot of important stuff is in your head. You don't want to be smashing it. But That's exactly what I was thinking is that this surely must contribute to detriments in the ingenuity score. Because if you are going <laughs> right. to be fighting each other by imperiling the most vital part of your body, the place where you keep your brain, and that's <laughs> right. what you're going to be using as like your primary, like as a flail, basically. Yeah. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> right. Although, I don't know, now that I think of it, they've been doing it for so long, maybe they have some sort of brain cushioning. Right. That's immediately where my head went. And I wish I had looked that up because, you know, you think about like woodpeckers, how their whole head is kind of designed to cushion their brains so they can hit their heads really hard against a tree. Yeah. And then I, I'd imagine that all these animals that use their heads to fight probably have something like that, too. Yeah, they must. They, surely they must. <laughs> right. There's no way I they could have made so. it this long. <laughs> yeah. So they walk like a cartoon character. Yes. You know, like you got the left legs go and then the right legs go. Mm -hmm. And then when they run, they run like a rabbit. They have front legs between back legs and, and the front legs go and then the back legs go. Mm -hmm. And they can even jump over like fences and stuff. Like these enormous animals and they, they can jump. Although like to them, the fence is probably not that tall. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It'd be like us like <laughs> stepping over a doorway or something like that. Probably, yes. It's all, it's all relative. Although that is better than the pronghorns will do because one of the things that our guest Vinnie Thomas told us about was that pronghorns, while being perfectly capable, refuse to jump over fences oh, and wow. instead prefer to try to go beneath fences which that is sounds like a mistake a problem for an animal that has horns <laughs> literally prong horns yes so um but of course not an option for a giraffe that's a thousand feet tall right i would love to see that just kind of a uh, giraffe limbo would be great <laughs> how low can you go none apparently none <laughs> not very <no. laughs> 
And then also, they sleep weird. It's very hard for a giraffe to, you know, lie down and get some shut-eye. If you've ever seen a picture of a giraffe, which is, this is something that was confusing for me because I learned that they, most of the time, they sleep standing up. Mm -hmm. And they do it in, like, five-minute chunks. And so they don't actually sleep that much. But every time I tried to find a picture of a giraffe sleeping, they were always lying down with their neck just totally arched toward Mm. their butt. They have their little head lying on their butt, which is apparently that's a way that they sleep. But it's just like a much more rare way that they sleep. But I think it's probably more you can tell that the giraffe is sleeping when it's doing that versus just standing up and maybe its eyes are closed. And must I say, it is adorable. It is adorable. It is so cute. It's like when your cat curls up into a ball. Oh, it's so cute. It is. But it it looks like cats. The position looks very uncomfortable as well. Yeah, it does. Although it looks very comfortable because I'm like, I know my neck certainly doesn't bend that way. But, (laughs) you know, maybe for them, it's a little bit more like maybe it's like they don't get to bend their neck like that super often. So maybe it feels like like, maybe they're they're constantly holding themselves upright. So then Mm. that's a relaxation thing. Whereas if I were to do that, I would wake up with out the ability to use my neck anymore. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now that I'm thinking about it, you know, they're sleeping curled up with their neck curled around them in a ball. The only other alternative would be just sprawled out with their neck. (laughs) Right. (laughs) With their neck just laying flat, like across eight feet, right? Like that. (laughs) Now that I think about it, the curling up method seems way smarter. (laughs) It does seem smarter. It seems safer. It seems like someone could just step on your neck at any moment. Accidentally. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a tripwire. <laughs> it is. It yes. <laughs> so I'm glad that they curl up rather than just sprawling their eight foot neck out all yes. over the savannah. Yes. <laughs> it is good. It's it's a good adaptation. Yes. I feel like I've seen baby giraffes sleep like that. Yeah, that that was most of what I found was was baby giraffes sleeping, which is really, really cute. They're adorable. <laughs> baby giraffes go so hard, like right out the gate. Baby giraffes literally hit the ground running. Yeah, they they literally hit the ground. They're like, it's like they fall like what two meters, like six feet from the womb, just like boom on the ground. They fall and then they're like, oh, I'm up, I'm ready, I'm let's yeah. go. Yeah, it is so funny, and but it's from humans, which have tiny babies that need to be extensively cared for for a long period of time. It seems so foreign to just be like, oh, your baby is already fine. Your baby's already ready to go. Your baby can have a job now. Yeah. Do you want to know a lovely uh, vocabulary word for the way that human babies are born, like, undercooked? Yeah. It's altricial. Love this word. Have you heard that? We talk about this with birds a lot. I bet. I bet. Yeah. I I just love that that's that they have a word for, I mean, yeah, half-baked. Yeah. <laughs> not not quite done yet. Yeah. Um. So the, the inverse of that, the, the one that would apply to giraffes, would be precocial. Oh, nice. Like, oh, like precocious. Yeah. So like a lot of ungulate babies will be born just like ready to go. Like horses. If you've ever seen like a a horse foal being born, they're like, all right, here I am. I'm ready. That's amazing. So cool. It it makes sense, right? If you're an animal that's like a prey animal, you have to be kind of ready to go at a moment's notice. Yeah. It's an entire life cycle built around the concept of constant anxiety. (laughs) Right. Yes. You got to be ready for anything. They have anxiety built into their body. (laughs) Okay. So, since we're on the topic of baby giraffes, great lead in to our final category that we rate animals on. This is aesthetics. Very self-explanatory. How nice is this animal to look at? What do you give the giraffe for aesthetics? Oh, giraffes are definitely a 10 in aesthetics. For sure. If not the giraffes, then what, right? Yeah. Something that I forgot to mention like earlier, but that I think does them well in the aesthetics category is their eyelashes. That's right. Yes. They have lovely eyelashes. Such long and luscious ones. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this applies to giraffes specifically, but I know in other animals that like live in these types of environments, the eyelashes are really helpful for keeping dust out of the eyes and stuff. Right. Yeah. It's not like they've they've gotten extensions to just look pretty. They're they're actually (laughs) doing work. (laughs) Which makes me wonder. I mean, maybe women with Eyelash extensions do really well in the desert, probably. Let's test it. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go get some extensions, and then I'll uh, go take a quick trip out to the desert, and I'll see how it goes. 
Perfect. But it helps them well. It's a great adaptation. And also, it looks so beautiful. It does. I feel like giraffes have such, like, soulful eyes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because they're huge, and they have the eyelashes, and they're just sort of, yeah, they're they're gorgeous. Yeah, and you can't go wrong with the spots, too. Right. I mean, yes, we use them in fashion for a reason. Hopefully not from real giraffe, but the thing with the spots is every subspecies has a slightly different pattern, but then every individual has, like, its own unique kind of identifying pattern that other giraffes can use to know who it is. Oh, okay. That is really cool. Yeah. I googled a picture really quick of a northern giraffe just to get a sense of its spots. It's pretty much what you expect from giraffe spots. Classic. They're kind of geometric. Yeah. Yeah. I think giraffe spots are absolutely beautiful. I'm sure it serves them a purpose as well. It's secondary to (laughs) my appreciation for them. I've been learning a little bit more about like some of the the ways that some animals that seem to have really like obvious markings that don't seem like they would be good for camouflage mm-hmm. actually are super good for camouflage like some studies where they're like actually if we if we take them and we put them in front of their habitat and then we use like a certain kind of vision that that their predator uses you can't see them at all and like pandas are one I never would have thought were good with camouflage. And apparently they're they're basically invisible when they're in the forest. Right. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how giraffes measure up on that, but I'm I'm sure it's probably a great adaptation. You, it would have to be. If it's not effective camouflage, I don't care. I hope they don't change it. <laughs> yes, please don't change. Never change. <laughs> you know, you were talking about that, like even markings that look conspicuous to us aren't to like the target. Yeah. One thing that I remember hearing from um, a guest we had on a long time ago, Tyus Williams. Love him. Isn't he the best? Um, He came on to talk about tigers with us. Cool. And Tyus told me, and I think I've probably referenced this a thousand times since he told me this. I have not gone a single day since talking to Tyus that I haven't thought about this concept, that tigers have these orange and black stripes. And to a human, orange and black is very visible against green leaves. So we think that seems counterintuitive. Why would you have bright orange against a green backdrop? Um, But what he explained was that orange is a color you can already get with melanin, right? The pigment that like mammal fur is already producing. So you can already very easily get to orange. And that the prey that tigers are hunting are largely like these ungulates. They're red-green colorblind. Oh. So to them, orange and green both come out as brown. Wow. So to a deer, orange looks like green. And like, (laughs) you know, so it's basically just a very effective way to get the same result as though you were green. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I think about that every day. Yeah, and green would be way harder to get because, yeah, like you said, the melanin comes in just a kind of a limited number of shades. Right, like we already had the melanin laying around, so it's like just turn that orange. Whereas like to get all the way to green, you'd have to do something like a sloth does where they like grow algae in their fur and like that's a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. So like it's just such an interesting way. I don't know if this factors into the giraffe at all. It was just a very interesting concept that you, you reminded me of because everything reminds me of it because it's the coolest thing I've ever heard. That is really cool. Wow. I was like looking at a close-up picture of their face. I will. This is the last thing I'm going to say about giraffe aesthetics. They are absolutely beautiful and flawless from the side. From the front, in my opinion, slightly different story. <laughs> right. It's kind of like when you take a selfie and your nose is too big. Mm, yeah. You know, a little bit like it's 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 yeah. the profile picture and the tagged picture. You know, like this from the side is the profile <laughs> picture. From the front is the tagged picture. Um, it's not their most flattering angle because I th- I feel like they have the eyes. Their eyes are so wide set. Like, right. Eyes are far apart. They look. I just think they look a little goofy from the front. But that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. From the front, they have. Yeah. Those wide set eyes. Like a big bulbous forehead. Mm-hmm. The the lips are very, <laughs> I mean, their lips are very useful for them. Oh, we didn't even talk about their antibacterial saliva. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But yeah, definitely from the, from the side, nice, nice profile from the profile pic. Yeah. Yeah. So giraffes are perfect. They have made a lot of massive overhauls to their systems to get to the form they're in now. And I'm so thankful that they did. Me too. Me too. Okay, so 
Before we wrap up for today, I would love it if you could take a second to let our friends at home know, um, you know, what kind of projects you're working on right now, obviously Curiosity Daily, but anything else that you're involved with that you'd like people to follow along with, where people can find your work, stuff like that. Yeah, totally. So Curiosity Daily is definitely my main thing, curiositydaily.com or anywhere you can find your podcasts. And then I also, I'm between seasons on this, but I have my own side podcast called Taboo Science which is basically everything that we don't get to cover on Curiosity Daily because it's very family-friendly and positive, I get to kind of dive into on that show. So I've done topics like cannibalism, Mm. uh, necrophilia. Yeah, so just kind of the dark, the gross. The The gritty reboot of Curiosity Daily. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Curiosity after dark. (laughs) So Curiosity Daily is for when you're driving the kids to school, and then Taboo Science is for after they get out of the car. Exactly. Yeah. So this is a this is a you know more like a thirty minute interview show where I drop in with different facts and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a it's a fun one. Hey there, quick update to this. Ashley is actually moving on from hosting Curiosity Daily. Her last episode aired on December 20th. Ashley is now seeking new opportunities. So if you love what you've heard from here here today, get a hold of her on Twitter or via her website, which is ashleyhamer.online. I will be dropping a link in this episode's description. So definitely go uh, check her out. You can, of course, still tune in to Taboo Science, which Ashley is currently working on new episodes for. And do you want people to follow like you, like on social media or anything like that? Yeah, that'd be great. I'm at Smashly Hamer. So Hamer with is H-A-M-E-R. Smashly is Ashley with an S-M beginning <laughs> of it, I guess. I'm sure there'll be in the show notes. <laughs> that is a very fun handle, by the way. I like <laughs> Thank you. I like any sort of like name-based pun. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you can tell from our title, we're big fans of puns here on Just the Zoo of Us. <laughs> Yes. It's a great, great show title. So you fit right in. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right, Ashley. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for your time and your knowledge and for all of your hard work. It has been lovely getting to speak with you and learn about giraffes with you. So everyone uh, go info dump about giraffes at the next party you go to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. This has been a dream. I I just love being able to get on a podcast and info dump. This is (laughs) awesome. Love it. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. I really hope that you like what you heard today. And if you did, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review on your podcatcher like MJ Bailey, who can I just give a shout out to for reviewing every single episode of Just the Zoo of Us individually on Podchaser. MJ, your dedication to the craft of podcast reviewing has not gone unnoticed or unappreciated. You are an absolute icon. Thank you. You can connect with us on social media or shoot me an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have an animal you'd like to hear us talk about on the show. Next week, you are going to hear from a very cool reptile enthusiast who is going to tell us all about a critter who is absolutely fascinating from their stunning lashes all the way down to their wrinkly toes. Finally, we'd like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones you heard promos for here today. You can check them out and learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. While you're there, it would be great if you signed up for a membership to support us and the other fantastic shows on the network. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our spectacular theme music. That is all we have for today. We will talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported